Hello and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live here on our weekly show. My name is Tina with my friends Jane Wendy. I think I'm pointing. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I don't know how to point that way. <laughs> hey guys, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. It's December 24 at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and I am ready to dive into God's Word. I know for many people, they're celebrating Christmas Eve, so we just want to wish you a Merry Christmas if you're watching and um, worshiping together with us on this Friday evening. And uh, we also just want to remind everybody that we do have... Um, comments where you can uh, either make a comment or ask a question down below because this is a live show. We are doing this live on Christmas Eve uh, just for you, our viewers. And we do want to also remind everybody that if you have a question you'd like to ask formally for our show, be sure to go to our website at bibleask.org forward slash live and submit a question there as well as on our Facebook page. We have um, a, a Facebook group and we would love to have you uh Come on and or, and check us out. Check out our content as well as like and share and um, spread the gospel that way. And be sure. And again, if you have questions, we'd love to answer them by God's word. And so uh, before we get started tonight, um, diving into a lot of questions that we got in, uh, Jay or Wendy, would you mind starting us off with a quick word of prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, another Sabbath day. And we thank you for this Christmas Eve day that we can um, think about you even more and what you did for us, sending your son here for us. And um, we just pray that you will be with each and every person who's tuning in this evening. You know, some people are enjoying this evening with their families and some are enjoying it with us and some are enjoying it alone or wherever they want to be with friends and um, wherever people are, Lord. We just pray that you will be with them and um, and help them to have a wonderful time getting to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So with that being said, Wendy, what is our first question? Let's go ahead and get that up. Oh, a long one. Okay. So David asks, boy, part one of six. I am having a problem with two seemingly contradictory Bible passages dealing with the arrest of Jesus in the garden. One, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, and while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Who, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Matthew 26, 47 to 50. The same story was repeated here. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas betrayest. Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? Luke 22, 47 to 48. And here, immediate, and immediately, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves, from the chief priests and the scribes of the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them to a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was 
come, he goeth straight straight away to him and said, and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. Mark 14, 43 to 46. So there is no doubt that the scriptures stated that Christ was betrayed by Judas. However, when you get to the Gospel of John, Judas did not betray Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus deliberately revealed himself to those who came to arrest him, as shown here. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. John 18, 3 to 8. And one more slide. All right. The (laughs) above passage suggests that although Judas brought the men who arrested him, it was Jesus himself who revealed himself to be arrested. He was not pointed out by Judas. Can you help shed some light on this? Thank you so very much, David. All right, David. Great question. And I know this type of thing a lot of people struggle with. Um, Hope I could come on to the screen in a moment here. There we go. All right. So. This is a common issue that a lot of people see in the Bible, and some people get turned off by it. They think, oh, I can't believe in the Bible now because the Bible is contradicting itself. But is that really the case? Um, First, I want to put up a principle uh, of how we should interpret the Bible. This comes from Jesus himself, and I say it's one of the most important rules of interpretation. And this comes from John 10, 35. And Jesus says that scripture cannot be broken. And what he's saying is, yeah, the Bible is true, and don't read verses in a way that says the Bible's wrong. We need to read the Bible in a way that suggests it's coherent. And if, and and I'm not saying we got to force this interpretation. Every single time I've struggled with these issues and I worked through it, the Bible's ended up being right, and my initial inclinations were wrong. So. Uh, you know, examples of this is like in in the book of Genesis, there's two creation accounts. And some people say, oh, these are completely contradictory. We can't believe them. But if you go back and look at them, they're approaching it from a different angle. It's a different side of the story or a different way of presenting the information. They're not inconsistent. They're just from a different approach. And you we see uh, differences at times when um, like book of Deuteronomy, compare that to things in Exodus. It might be the same account, but said a little bit differently. Um, Kings and Chronicles, there's stories there where there's slight differences between them. And then, of course, the famous example a lot of people talk about and we've touched on before here is the Gospels, how it looks like the Gospels might be inconsistent. But those differences are so minor and that there's people like Lee Strobel who was an atheist and really going and challenging the Bible and comes out concluding the Bible is the most believable book ever because of these inconsistencies, or they're one of these factors. It gives more credibility because you're having eyewitness accounts 
I believe influenced a bit by the Holy Spirit, got it by the Holy Spirit, but there should be some differences, right? There should be some nuances here. If everybody has the same wording, same exact account, we're going to say, okay, they clearly check their notes and um, the Bible's not believable. Now, how do we reconcile this story? How do we make sense of John's account seeming to be a bit different than the others? Uh, I want to start off with... Uh, with first, uh, Matthew 26, verse 48. This is key. This is a critical verse for unlocking everything. And it reads, Now his betrayer, this is referring to Judas, had given them a sign. You know, the the the, the chief's elders, their, their army, giving them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. So there's a plan in place ahead of time. And the agreement is these guys don't make a move and don't arrest Jesus until Judas goes and kisses him. Because they're not 100% sure who Jesus is and who's the right guy. I mean, this isn't like modern times where we watch TV and we can know celebrities face really well, right? It's different times and um, they have this deal again with Judas and Judas has a special role and the sign is the plan of attack is when Judas kisses that person, that's when we move in and we're going to arrest Jesus, right? So that's the agreement. That's the plan. So um, we come to then John. And if if that's the plan, we see in John then that uh, Judas shows up. He has these um, these people also come with Judas. And, and then Jesus, yeah, does declare he is God. And he's, he, uh, you know, glory shines, they fall backwards. And a couple times Jesus saying, yes, I'm, I'm the one, I'm the one, let my disciples go, let them go. Um, but you notice they're not moving. They haven't advanced yet in on him. So they're still afraid to go in. And it's not until then Judas actually steps up and kisses Jesus that then they actually do move in and arrest Jesus. So this is a way that you can combine the 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 three account, or four accounts and they're 100% consistent. They're not inconsistent if we understand there's that sequence of events and Luke and Mark and Matthew wanting to feature certain elements of that sequence of events and John is wanting to pull out his own special sequence. John's whole whole book is really emphasizing the divinity, the godship of Jesus. And so he focuses on that scene where the glory shines and the people are freaking out and Jesus is, you know, looking otherworldly. He wants to emphasize that part of it. He doesn't so much care about the part of Judas coming and kissing him. The other people want to more emphasize that part. So they're not inconsistent. So I hope this is helpful, giving an idea of how that sequence of events plays out. And, and really all these gospels can be read coherently wanted to add to that too you know you think about it like it, in that day and age it was it was actually not uncommon for uh kings and nobility and people in power to have somebody else pretend to be them and to say like if they're in battle or something you know there's somebody they might have a um you know someone who was a, who was low on the the infantry line being dressing as the king to protect so that when the uh, you know opposing party attacked they you know they would go for the one that looked like the king and claimed to be the king but wasn't actually the king uh yeah i think in, there's even bible stories where that sort of happens the king 
what was it King Hezekiah, Tina, that did that? <laughs> I think so. I, I want to say something similar happened with King Saul, but I could be, I'm a little foggy right now. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea there yeah. is that, it, it, you know, in here, why are they waiting to know who Judas is going to kiss? Because, you know, Jesus is saying, I, I am he, but for all they know, it could be somebody pretending to be Jesus. Yeah, exactly. So, so you having... got all these men here. They're like, which one do we arrest? Jesus says, let them go. You want me? And yeah, the guard's are like, is this really the guy though? We don't know yet. And Judas is still standing there. Yeah. 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 And, no, and they, exactly would, right. they would absolutely expect <laughs> that, 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 you know, in this situation, the enemy would not just identify themselves. It would be, it would, they would expect that it would be a substitute, a, you know, someone filling in because in, in the way they operate, the power dynamics that they operate with the, the, you know, mm -hmm. the one in charge would not just identify themselves that way. They'd have somebody else doing that. And that's one of the things that really differentiates Jesus's character is he's like, he he's very forthcoming. And he's like, I am even in the threat of death, even in the literal threat of death, the real threat, that's not just a threat. He is saying, I am he. You came for me. Yep. Here I am. I'm yours. Take me. Jesus cannot lie. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to that verse that uh, God cannot lie. I think it was Titus 1 2. But yeah, no. I, and I think that's a really good perspective of, you know, when it comes to the gospels, there's a reason why God wanted four gospels. Because um, one time I wrote a paper about the four gospels, and um, I started basically saying that, you know, um, it's like there was a car accident in, the, in an intersection of a of the street and like John, James, Luke, and Matthew each have a perspective on, on one of those four corners, except for John seemed to be looking out in the distance. And so I, I do see that um, unique perspective of John in the um, angle that he's looking at, you know, the, his um, perception of, you know, the life of Christ and his ministry. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. <laughs> I think Lee Strobel uses an example of like a, of like a court case. Exactly. <laughs> oh, right. We, maybe we should do some shout outs. We have yeah. uh, Diana joining us and Merry Christmas to you and Happy Sabbath and Olivia. Welcome. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, Fadi. Merry, Merry Christmas. I know not everybody celebrates Christmas, but if you do, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and pray you're blessed with you and all of your loved ones. And if you're just joining us, uh, let us know you're here. If you have questions, please drop them in the chat. We love to answer them on the fly and really make this a live show, actually. So, mm -hmm. so please say hi. Let us know you're here. Yep. All right. Shall we get our next question up? More long ones. Boy, you guys are keeping me busy this evening. Uh, Yunda asks, what does it mean to be first or last in heaven? Jesus says that whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be last. 
Matthew 20, 26 to 27. Does this mean that there are servants in heaven, perhaps a ranking system in heaven? Or is Jesus saying, serve on earth, be first in heaven? Love that question. Yeah. And, and that's. Uh, just want to say hi to Lucas before yes. you go. Yes. <laughs> hi, hi, Lucas. Lucas. Thanks for joining us. And you. hi, Diana, as well. Again, happy Sabbath and Merry Christmas to you as well. Thank you so much for your comments. We appreciate that. Our wonderful family here on Facebook and on YouTube. So we thank you so much for joining us at Bible Ask Live. Um, so yeah, sorry, getting back to the question. Um, you know, that's a very great question. I love, you know, when you think about how, um, you know, the meaning of what Jesus said, because it can be very, very deep. And so um, let's go there um, to Matthew chapter 20 and 26 and 27. Um, so basically where it says, yet it shall, oh, excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. My bad. <laughs> sorry about that. Is it Matthew 20, 26? Because I'm in Matthew 20, 26. Yes. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. So when you're looking here, it's very easy to be, um, you know, confused and saying like, are there slaves in heaven? <laughs> you know, if I go to heaven, will I be a slave because I was great on earth or will somebody else be my slave when I'm in heaven? And the word here for a slave or servant isn't the same um, word that you would, you see um, used in American English today. Um, so basically this would be more in the, along the lines of um, like just being great in the kingdom of heaven, just like um, that you would be in a high position if you were humble here on earth. That's, I think, more the gist of what is being said by Jesus. Um, I was also just, um, I, I used to think about that because um, it also depends on which version of the Bible that you're reading. Um, because like when I read, um, I'm trying to remember the other verse off the top of my head, but it says where who would be first in heaven will be, you know, who's last on earth will be first in heaven. Does that mean like, you know, there's first, second, third, last? No, not necessarily. I don't think that there's like a ranking system of who, you know, who's the best in heaven. I think it's more that how much you're recognized for what you did for the Lord when you're here on earth. Um, you know, if you were on earth, you know, just serving and serving, I think God will give you a great reward. I think he'll give you certain blessings that maybe other people who didn't do as much um, wouldn't see, but I think heaven <laughs> is going to be so wonderful. I don't think you're going to really mind um, maybe not having as much of an honor uh, when you get to heaven. Um, so yeah, Jerry, Wendy, really quick, do you have any other thoughts on that before I keep going? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is like a huge topic to me. I mean, if you look at... Um, who is who has stooped the lowest of anybody and that will be Christ i mean he, it is he who descended uh he who descended like if you read philippians 2 he talks about him how he um you know did not consider his godship or being equal to god something to cling to but he gave that up became a human being so he gave up being in heaven gave, gave up being god gave up being you know, in such a wonderful place, surrounded by ar armies of angels and commanding them to become not just a human being, but then also a servant among human beings. And, you know, it talks about how, you know, foxes have dens, wolves have holes, but I have nowhere to, you know, lay my head. 
you know, he had nothing. He was basically mm-hmm. homeless. You know, he, uh, you know, from the day he was born, he his life was in peril. He had to go spend time in Egypt. Uh, I mean, you just name it. Like he had all these strikes against him and he pulled through. He did it all. Why? Why did he give it all up? Why did he even suffer on the cross? Why did he die? So that we could be with him again. And but but because he did that, we're told this is why Christ is 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 more glorified. This is why the Father exalts him because of what Christ gave up, because of what Christ, because of he, how he humbled himself. So he's the ultimate example. Like God leads by example. God always follows his law. And so when it comes to humbleness, nobody has been humbled more than God himself. And we contrast this now. Who's going to be the lowest of all in heaven or or in the eyes of heaven? It's going to be he who wants to be like the most high, who wants to be like God, who, you know, wants to have the throne of God. And that's Satan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's all about exalting himself and glorifying himself and serving himself. And like it's that attitude that's completely contrary to what the Bible teaches and calls for. Mm -hmm. And. Um, you know, and so when we look at what's real Christianity and what's false Christianity, uh, you know, if you go back in time, one of the tell us most true signs of whether someone's actually a true Christian or not is are they actually humble? Do they actually live in in a in a way that shows they don't exalt themselves? Or do they expect you to exalt them? Do they expect you to glorify them? Do they expect you to hail them? That might be a sign to be careful of that person. Mm-hmm. Or that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. That's very, very true. And the thing is, too, like when I read this verse, I always like to go, we always promote Blue Letter Bible because it goes back to the original language. And what's really interesting, too, when you look at this verse and you look at the original um, Greek that was uh, the New Testament was written in, the word here where it says servant is actually deaconess, which is where we get the word deacon. And it just means somebody who ministers. So just somebody who's a giving, caring person. It doesn't mean that in heaven you're going to be a slave or here on earth you need to be a slave, like you have a master and you're beaten. It's not that way. It just means somebody who's um, minister, somebody who cares and and helps other people in a in a giving and caring way. And so that's an attribute that God is trying, or Jesus is trying to say, like that's an attribute of somebody who belongs in heaven, is that um, you're a person who loves to give, to care and um, for other for the needs of other people. Like when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was being a servant in a sense because he was ministering to their need of, of cleaning their feet. And so Jesus, again, is like you're saying, the ultimate example of what it means to be um, worthy of exaltation in heaven because that's where true greatness is, is mm-hmm. in the love and giving um, character of God that we see there. And really our church leaders should be the greatest servants of all. Mm-hmm. And there's some that do that, right? I mean, the best pastors are the ones who just sit back and enable their people. Like that, that's really the way the biblical model model is. Yeah. Amen. So yeah. shall we get our next question? Yes, let's do it. I think Drum it's roll. on its <laughs> way. I know we've got some uh some technical things going on tonight, <laughs> so it's okay. All right, here we That's go. That's his hands full. Angel yes. asks, why did Jesus command that we watch ourselves? Why should we watch? Great question, Angel. 
So Jesus actually many, many times gives us warnings to watch, to pay heed, to be on the lookout. Um, so let's start with um, perhaps the most important one he told us to really watch out for. And this is, um, we can see this in Matthew 24, starting at verse 42. And Jesus says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. And then the, you know, even next chapter, Jesus says again, watch, therefore, for you, you know, neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And he repeats this again in, Ma in Mark 13. He repeats this again in Luke 12, just again and again and again. Guys, don't be caught off guard because when I come back, it's going to be a time when you least expect it. So we got to watch out for the coming of, of the Lord. And he gives us signs in, in uh, Matthew 24 to watch out for. We can look for these signs. Uh, you know, Jesus says, you know, you can look up into the sky. You can see clouds and tell or, you know, what's going on in the sky. And you can tell what weather is coming. He says, likewise, you can sort of look at these signs and know, you know, the state of the world and, and when Christ will be coming or, you know, or that is coming is sooner. Then Christ tells us to watch out for temptation. So Matthew 26, 38, he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Uh, just a couple of verses later, he tells his disciples, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So this word watch, you know, pay attention, be on guard. Don't don't fall asleep. That's when Satan's going to strike. Um uh, Luke 21, 34, Jesus says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. So watch out for temptation. And related to temptation, Jesus tells us, watch out for false prophets and false doctrines. Matthew 24, back there, right? First words out Jesus' lips as to what the end times are going to behold. He says, take heed that no man deceive you. The NIV translates that, watch, watch out that no one deceives you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And then if you jump to Matthew 24, verse 11, he says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And then Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing. So they look like they're one of the sheep. You're a sheep. I'm a sheep. Everybody in church is a sheep. So they come in looking like they're sheep. And Jesus says, Be watch, be careful of them. Watch out for them. Because the inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Matthew 16, 6, Jesus says, Take heed and beware of the leaven of pharisees and the sadducees how is it you do not understand that i did not speak to you concerning bread i'm jumped i jumped i jumped ahead a couple verses to verse 11 because um, the disciples when jesus said watch out for 11 the disciples were like is jesus saying we didn't bring enough bread are we out of bread 
just like guys, guys, I'm speaking metaphorically here. It said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then the disciples understood that Jesus did not tell them beware of leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So very important to go when you study the Bible. What was the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? What did they believe? How were they acting? What were their values? What does Jesus call them out on? That's Those are things to watch out for. And you, you see this similarly in Luke. Luke, said, um, Luke 12, 1, beware of the leaven of Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Luke 20, 20 46 to 47, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greeting in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, the best places at feasts. Does this sound like these are people humbling themselves? Are these people who are going to be great in heaven? <laughs> I mean, talk about that topic, right? Jesus says, watch out for people like that. People want to glorify themselves in church. He says, because, you know, they devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Uh, they will receive greater condemnation. Wow. So watch out for them. And then he says, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Huh, that'll be interesting one to explore. What is the leaven of Herod? Mm -hmm. So the, those are the main three things Jesus tells us watch out for. So again, that was watch out for the second coming of Jesus. Don't let that sneak up on you. Watch out for temptation. If you let your guard down, it will sneak up on you. And then watch out for the false prophets and false doctrines because they are everywhere, and and that can lead you to temptation. Uh, that could cause you to miss the second coming, and that could cost you perhaps even your soul. All right, Tina, how about your thought? Ah, oh, we see somebody. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being mom for a minute. <laughs> so I've uh, been Yay. listening in here and there, but yeah, I think um, you know that's definitely. Uh, I agree. It's <laughs> <laughs> an easy way to say it. All right. I got a little fussy when I'm sorry. Someone's Aww. not feeling so good. <laughs> no. Let's get our next question up here. Alejandro asks, can a pastor be an apostle? And to answer that, I'll quickly say, refer you to, oh, I don't know, Jay, can you go through Ephesians 4.11? Okay, let's pull that up. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 4, 11. Maybe we can have you read that one, Wendy. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. All right. So with, and Sorry. So with that oh. being, oh yeah, if you keep going. For the equipping yeah. of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And if you keep going, it says that um, until we all come to the fullness of the body of Christ. Till we so all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So basically, when you look at these things, Jesus was all of them. And many people are pastors and evangelists. You can be both. Yeah. See, I'm going to have to take it from here because I got to go be a mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we are Let live. These things happen. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Let's, uh, 
So, I mean, like, really, what is an apostle? What is a pastor? I think that's important to talk about. Um, apostle just means sort of like a spokesperson of Jesus. That's kind of like the New Testament lingo for a prophet. And then what is a pastor? A pastor comes from the Greek, Greek word that we get for shepherd. So pastors are really the shepherds. Um, and, you know, you have Jesus, for example, who asked Peter three times, you know, Peter, feed my sheep. And he's implying that Peter, you know, be a pastor, you could say. Um, but Peter is also an apostle. So it's not necessarily that these are, the Bible sees these as roles that you can only occupy one of these at a time. It's more like, I, I think God will be happy if everybody could be a pastor, if everybody could, um, to some degree, be an apostle. But as, as we just saw in Ephesians, God does give more of these different spiritual gifts, spreads them out across the body. And, and, and going back to humbleness and all this stuff, God doesn't put everything into one person because then that person will end up with the biggest ego ever. So God, in his wisdom, gives us all unique abilities, spreads it all out throughout the whole church so that we have to depend on each other mm -hmm. and work together. And, and that's um, and just amazing thing about how God works and, um, and how our church should function. And so, yeah, any of us could be any of those things or all those things, any mixture of those things. But, but yeah, God in his wisdom will usually spread it out. It's a fascinating idea that our, our limitations, our inabilities are actually part of God's plan as well. That we are sort of then required to connect, to be in relationship and connection with other people. We're required mm -hmm. to work together with other people because if we could do it all of our, all our, all ourselves, like yeah, like you said, we would have like the biggest ego in the world. We would be a, trying to be God instead of just being a a conduit of of God's love. Yeah, and if you look at nature, there's absolutely nothing that's self sufficient. Everything needs other things. Mm -hmm. You know, the plants need the sun. They need the water. Um, they need the bees. The bees need the plants. I mean, just go down the list of it. Everything is intermeshed and working together. And that's how the whole ecosystem works. And very powerful. Yep. All right, let's get our next question. Up. Or we got uh, some comments from. Oh, we do. Uncle MG, man, haven't seen you in a while. Thanks for joining us. He says yes, we can all be evangelists in our own way. Yes, <laughs> that is Amen. correct. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get that question up here, Paul is uh, is uh, asking in first john 4 19 king james version what is meant by we love him because he first loved us oh i love this question i know i love this question because this is also one of my favorite bible verses i think it is one of the most important bible verses because it unlocks a lot of how the gospel works mm -hmm. so let's take a look at that first john 4 19 and it reads very simply we love him because he first loved us. Beautiful verse. Everybody should have that memorized, right? Mm -hmm. We love him because he first loved us. So what does this verse mean? Well, first we look at the context. Let's go back to verses. We look at John 4, starting at verse 17. 
And John says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So what's John saying here? So John's saying, you know, if it wasn't for God approaching us with love first, we would be totally afraid of him. We're just, we, we know God would want to destroy us, obliterate us. We deserve that. But God approaches us with, approaches us with love. And that love does not condemn us. That love seeks to save us. That love invites us into a relationship with him. And so that is so critical to understanding the gospel. The gospel isn't you got to be a good person, then come to Christ. Mm -hmm. No, what are we told? We're told that um, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. And let's look at... Uh, Let's look at this. Romans 5, 6 to 11. So Romans 5, 6 to 11. It says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only that, but also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And look at that, that last verse. We have now received the reconciliation. Many people think it's our job to reconcile ourselves with God. And that's not biblical. God has already done the act of reconciling. He's done everything to say, please come to me. Let's restore our relationship. Let's be father and son, father and daughter. Let's, let's just have a relationship based on love. And it starts with God supplying that love in the relationship. That's how it begins. Um, without that, we wouldn't even know how to love. All good things come from God. So God shows us how to love. That's in the Bible. That's through the life of Christ. We now understand what love looks like. And then he shows that love to us. He's forgiven us. He paid our debts. He invites us to the relationship. And just... Let's look at these things now a little bit in human terms. So now that we said this, let's look at Ephesians 5, starting at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Wow. Okay, right? So, so how many people have 
experience is seen, observed it, where normally, it, there's exceptions, right? But normally, I hear this time and time and time again, and then this was our experience too. The man sees a woman, is attracted to her, and pursues her. And you might see her brushing him off, trying to chase, trying to lose him, <laughs> try to make it go away, and the guy persists. And why does she eventually turn around? Why does she eventually come back? Why do they end up getting married? Because he loves her. Because he loves her. He supplied that love. And and so it's just so interesting to me. I always wonder, why is it that guys usually are the ones that start that? And you know what's fascinating? And, and dovetailing on this, if a guy stops loving the wife, the marriage is going to crumble. Even if the, the woman is um, not reciprocating well at times and all that, like if the guy would step it up a bit, would love her even more, it sounds like that's when you could get a breakthrough. And that's when really marriage could be saved. But if the guy, you know, gets rebuffed a couple of times and then just gives up, that that mm -hmm. marriage is doomed. But man, you can supply the love. You can keep that relationship going. Just like God supplies the love, he keeps the relationship going with us and the gospel is just and as a, men can supply that, but only if they're receiving it, the receiving is so important. You have to receive from God yes. before you can get, because mm -hmm. I think what happens to a lot of people, uh, and this is something that we really encountered, you know, when we were working on the documentary for mental health and seeing a lot of broken relationships and, um, broken marriages and, you know, very unhealthy patterns, a lot of times, you know, you have these attachment issues where people don't actually receive love when it's given because there was, there was an issue that happened and, you know, they got into this disorganized, disorderly kind of attachment and they reject love whenever it comes instead of receiving it. And because it like they feel unworthy for it or you know there's there's a there's there's all kinds of reasons why we we reject love in our life from how we were raised you know yeah. from things that happened in early childhood but this is what like this verse is so pivotally important because we love god because he first loved us and he showed us that love in a hundred thousand ways he showed mm -hmm. us that love in every way possible to the point of sacrificing his own life for us and so when we come to realize that that wow okay like he's working so hard to reach us all we have to do is receive it is accept it and receive it and when we receive it then we can give it and you know when when husbands receive that love from god and then share that onto their wife even when and I'll be the first to admit there are days when I'm not an easy person to live with. I mean, I think everybody is everybody <laughs> is this way, right? Like we don't need to fake that like we're all perfect people all the time because we're not. That's just the reality of it, right? Um so there are days when I do things that are like hurtful to him and it's not my intention to be hurtful. Like or, you know, I'd I it just it, sometimes that happens from frustration or whatever, but but when he responds to that with love to me, 
and looks at it as like, she's having a hard time right now. I just need to love her more. Oh my gosh. Does that make me love him and respect him so much more that, that he saw my need there and met that need instead of just being offended at something that happened. And so, yeah, this verse is just like such a pivotal part of healthy relationship dynamics. When we apply, when when we, when we recognize this and apply it in our life and it's so transformational to us. So I want to end with this verse. Therefore, if this is second Corinthians five, starting at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that, sorry, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I mean, it's just, he's hitting again and again and again. God's mm-hmm. loving us. He's not trying to judge us, condemn us. He's not trying to, um, you know, punish us. He's trying to woo us, re- restore that relationship. I mean, it's... That's so powerful that he's yeah. not imputing our trespasses to us. And this committed us to the word of reconciliation. Like, wow. Like how much more clear can that get that when somebody wrongs us, if we're going to tap into the character of God and the spirit of God, when we are wronged, it's not our, we're not supposed to impute that trespass to them. We're supposed to commit to his word of reconciliation. God's law is to love. Yeah. I mean, if if you look it up, thou shalt love basically is God's law. Mm -hmm. And so God, even before he made the law, he was love. And then he's the first to love. So he's the first to keep his law. He's the first to show us how to do it. And, and, and love is all about Mm -hmm. relationships at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. God just wants relationships. He made us to have a relationship. He wants to save us to have a relationship. And he has saved us. We can dwell and abide in him. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it could go on forever. It's so important. I, I, I wish just more of the world would understand this and, and, and what the gospel is really about. It's mm-hmm. not what we do. It's because he loves us. Yep. And we love him in return. Amen. And definitely then we should then show that in our relationships to each other. Yeah. Uh, so Uncle MG says, what gets me is that God still loves us even when we reject him. Yep. Yep. And that is so true. Yep. It's 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 unbelievable how many times we can reject God in our life and he still keeps trying to woo us back. He still pursues us. He's still constantly trying to get in front of us. Now, I'm not saying that we should necessarily like keep pursuing people that are always rejecting us like you know that can it can be we're not god so it can end up being very harmful to us to continually put ourselves in a toxic situation but this is the amazing thing about god is that he does it no matter how toxic we are to him he keeps pursuing us Mm -hmm. he keeps coming after us trying to bring us back to him 
we just need to receive it. We just need to receive his love for us. And you think what what's the what's Christmas about? I mean, it mm-hmm. was God giving up his son and Jesus giving up his place in heaven to come and dwell and be with us. To pursue us. To pursue us, mm-hmm. to hang out with us, to be with us, to be tempted like us in all mm-hmm. all ways, and yet with be without sin. I mean, it's yeah. Oh yeah, he can't show us any more love. And it's that love that transforms us when we think about it and dwell on it. And if anybody doesn't know that love, doesn't understand it, doesn't know that God, you're worshiping some other God and you can't have real faith. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall we get our next question? up? So Mark is asking, did Esau truly forgive Jacob? I think you're going to find the answer pretty clear in the book of Genesis, chapter 33. Um, If you go there to, I think, verse 6 is where um, Jacob and Esau finally meet after years of uh, them (laughs) being apart after uh, Jacob deceived his father. Uh, Wendy, will you read that really quick? Genesis 33 and verse, um, I believe it's verse 6. Sorry. No worries. As soon as we have it up here, I'll be happy to read it. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. That's probably he being Jacob. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the woman and children and said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And so we kind of see here that, you know, Esau um, came and, you know, embraced him and they kissed and he wept. And we looked up, um, you know, Esau even asked his brother, like, who are, who are all these people? And um, uh, Jacob's response in verse six, um, or excuse me, uh, or in verse eight said, then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company, which I met? And he said, being Jacob, these are to find favor in your sight. And in verse nine, it says, but Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. So, you know, Jacob was trying to seek reconciliation by doing him, um, you know, a favor or giving him a gift. And Esau didn't even want it. He just wanted reconciliation with his brother. So I do think he forgave. I do think there was healing. Um, You know, they hugged, they wept. I think it was all good which I think honestly is the great <laughs> uh, thing to think about in the spirit of you know Christmas this time of year is that spirit of family reconciliation and love for each other. So I think that's a good way to, to end that answer. Amen. 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 All right. Do we have another question? Yes. One more. Let's do it. And it's coming. <laughs> Anticipation. It will come. Yeah. Could it possibly be? All right. So Steph is asking, why did the angel in Revelations ask the Apostle John to eat the scroll, which turned his stomach sour? All right. So let's look at this. Revelation 10, 8 to 11. It says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. 
And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. So uh, we'll talk about a little bit what the honey and bitterness means. But if we go to the next verse, it explains or it gives us an idea of why to eat the book. It says, and he, the angel, said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues and kings. So um, book Often we see book scroll in the Bible. It is referring to scripture or a prophecy, a vision, um, something from a God, a word of God. And, and just as you see there, it says you must go and prophesy again. So John is taking something in and then turning him bitter, sweet as honey, though, and then he needs to go prophesy again. So Psalm 119 so Psalm 119, verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So here, God's word is being compared to honey. And if we uh, go to Proverbs 25, verse 16, it says, So Proverbs 25, verse 16, it says, If you find honey, eat only as much as you need lest you be filled with it and vomit, <laughs> right? And, and so things that are sweet, you can only take so much in before oh, you head it up. It's so true. And honey, like, is so sweet, man. I can only eat a little at a time or it just, I just yeah. feel sickly from it. <laughs> and, and I have to say, like, when I study the Bible, there's times where I'm like, oh, wow, God, you just blew my mind. I cannot read anymore. <laughs> I have to meditate and digest this. Yeah. Um. So... Uh, it really could be relatable there. Um, and then Proverbs 27, 7, it says, one who is one who is full loathes, loathes, loathes honey from the comb. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Hmm. So also, I think, you know, it's like when we, we first encounter the gospel, right? It tastes sweet. If God's word is just so wonderful, you want to take it all in. But then it does, you do reach a point in your experience where suddenly these things might become bitter. Mm -hmm. And you usually that bitterness is not necessarily the message itself, but now you're seeing the world totally differently. Your worldview changes. Mm -hmm. Everything that you thought was good is you're now realizing is evil. Mm -hmm. And you start also realizing how terrible of a person you are and how far we fall from the glory of God. Yeah. You know, how how loving he is compared to how selfish and self-serving we are. Mm -hmm. I call it spiritual indigestion. Yeah, that's when you get too much it. sometimes. It's like you take too, taking too much at once. You can get spiritual indigestion because it's like how, like if if that's if that's reality, which it is like God's reality. Like, how do we live that way in this world? How do we how do we? function in accordance with that when this world is so opposite of that yeah and 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 what makes it even more of a challenge then is once you have this word god usually wants you to go and share it mm -hmm. which then brings further difficulty to it and and this is a good segue to ezekiel 3 starting at verse 1 and and here we see a similar story 
And in fact, just almost just about everything in in the book of Revelation has its tie back to something in the Old Testament. Most of the imagery is not original to Revelation. So check this out. Uh, so reads moreover, or maybe Wendy, would you like to read it? Moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. And next slide. Well, we're going to go to verse nine. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of, of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not too many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their, their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. It's going to bang heads. <laughs> like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Talk about rebellion, huh? So, so here we see Ezekiel taking in, taking in the scroll, and and how did it taste to him? Sweet at first. Sweet, he says, tasted sweet yeah. in his mouth, and and then what happens next? And it was hard when you're reading, <laughs> but. So he tastes sweet, and then God says, I want you now to go and speak to Israel. You need to go prophesy to Israel. You need to now go call them out. You need to share the word, the gospel, a reform message with Israel. So this is now where Ezekiel probably his stomachs drop in, and he's like, oh, man, these people aren't going to like this. Mm -hmm. This isn't going to go well. And God says, you know, they're going to have tough foreheads. I'm going to give you a tough forehead too, and but you're just gonna you're gonna butt heads, and it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be enjoyable, but you know sometimes that has to happen, right? Someone has to get God's word out there. Someone has to say, "Hey, everybody, we need to end this party here because this party is dangerous. Mm -hmm. This party is leading us to rebelling against God. We're like a car that's like heading straight to to a cliff and we'll go over. Mm -hmm. We got to turn around quick. That's and what these prophets do. What's so interesting about this? I mean, this is a lay person being called by God to go confront the holy people with the word of God. And Ezekiel might be a priest or 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 oh, okay. So yeah, I can't say totally lay person, but but yeah. but still certainly a lesser in the hierarchy there. It's not a king. He's right. And going to confront the nation that is supposedly representing God's holy word, but going and being sent to them, like they're supposed to be the representation of it. So they're like, 
you know, we're the church. We're God's people. We're, yeah, like, we're God's we're people. Awesome. We're, we're saved. We're, and yeah. and they have a way of operating. They have a culture about them. And Ezekiel is going in and saying, like, that's not God's culture. That's not God's way. Like he's rebuking yeah. basically what they're what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of a similar thing. I think like John's being called to do in Revelation. You know, you, you're going to have to prophesy to the world, probably even to God's people. In fact, Revelation is telling you a lot of God's people are in this system called Babylon mm -hmm. where, you know, they're they're being called into a system of false worship. Many of these people think they're doing right or they just don't know better. And someone has to go and call them out. Someone mm -hmm. has to tell them, hey, guys, what you're doing is wrong. God really loves you and God wants you to be in uh, uh, this camp. Was it? <laughs> but we are pretty much out of time. We're at the one hour mark. And we thank you so much for joining us on this Christmas Eve. So yes. thank you. And uh, Tina, do you have any thoughts? Any words you'd like to share? Any wrap up? <laughs> uh, she has her hands full. Uh, everyone again for joining us. And we just want to um, remind everybody that if you have uh, questions that you'd like answered on our show, be sure to check us out at BibleAsked.org forward slash live. I'm still being a mom here, so don't mind me. <laughs> still juggling. But um, again, we want to thank everybody for joining us. And um, all, as always, be sure to check us out on Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, we have our live show as well as on podcast. So um, and Again, we're going to be live every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So be sure to join us again next week. And we just want to thank everybody, wish everybody a Merry Christmas, and say God bless you to everyone um, until we see you again. So let's close with a quick word of prayer. J.R. Wendy, would you mind doing that for us? Sure. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this, uh, this season to think about and celebrate the amazing gift you gave to the world to show your love to us um the gift of you know even your son's willingness to give up so much to show us what humbleness looks like to show us what godliness what love what all good things look like so that we can be able to comprehend a bit better your love your your inconceivable love and and we pray lord that that love can transform every single person here who's listening and and that we with that love can then turn around and love others and and just start this huge spark this huge wave of of love amongst your people amongst this planet that you may be glorified lord and as many people may be called your sons and daughters as possible and again we thank you lord and we can't wait to see your coming soon. Even though we don't know when it will be, we know it's soon and look forward to it. That's I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. And God bless everybody. Hope to see you again next week, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless. Bye. New Year's